0: As always, thankful for the opportunity to be here and for the opportunity to worship God. We've entitled our study today, The Foolishness of Preaching. You'll find our text there in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. As a setup for what we want to talk about today... I want this sermon to be for all of us. Sometimes we think about sermons like this and think they're only for people that are doing public teaching, and they're not. They're for the teacher, and they're for the learner. They're for the preacher, and they're for the hearer. You know, and the real challenge when it comes to Learning what God wants and expects of us is not what we're doing here today, but it's whether or not as a hearer we can take the things that we study and we can go into the next week and we can put those things to practice. Now understand the responsibility and the challenge that's on the person that's leading a study. We need to take that seriously. We need to do the best that we can do when we are given the opportunity to do that. But the greater challenge, I believe, is on the hearer. And so as we think about that and as we go through our study today, remember that whatever your expectation of the sermon is, that's what determines your ability to take what we study and put it to use. And if you don't understand what we're trying to accomplish here, you'll never be able to do that. Paul said, I believe it was in Acts chapter 20 along about verse 20, he said, I have taught you publicly and from house to house. So as we think about these things today, that. Application is for the preacher and for the hearer, and these things apply in a public presentation and in a private presentation. And so there again, I believe there's a broad application of the things that we want to look at this morning. So 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, I would encourage you to read this whole discourse here that Paul goes through because he's talking about the value of Jesus Christ. And he says here, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So, is preaching really foolish? Is that what he's saying? No, what he's saying is the world's attitude in worldly wisdom, it is foolish. It doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective. But from God's perspective, He has chosen that to bring people that believe in Him to salvation. That's the the mechanics, if you will. We're saved because of the blood of Jesus. We're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by a whole long list of things. But the mechanics of that salvation, God has chosen preaching to bring people to that place. Now as we think about that, I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus gives us what we call the Great Commission here. This is the job that He has given His people, and it started with the apostles. I understand that. He's giving this job to the apostles. But this is the ongoing mission of the church to this day. He says here in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. See how God has chosen preaching to bring people to Christ, to bring people into Christ, in another place, the Bible says that He has chosen earthen vessels to accomplish this mission. And that's what He's doing here. He's telling them, you go and you preach Jesus and you tell people about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you and you bring people in to Christ. Now that's the first step. But that's not the end, is it? It's the beginning. It's the beginning. And then we have the second step. He says, once they're brought to Christ, you teach them. He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So there's two parts to the Great Commission. But in both parts, there's preaching and teaching. And that's how we're brought to salvation. So... We hear the gospel. We believe the gospel. We respond to the gospel. We obey the gospel when we're baptized. Jesus adds us to the church, and we're good to go, right? No, we've got to grow. We've got to grow. If we're not growing, we're dead. In the same way, the same mechanism that brings us to Christ is the mechanism by which we will continue to grow in Christ. I want to look now here at Acts chapter 28. These are the last two verses in the book of Acts. You know, when I think about the Great Commission, and I think about understanding exactly what that meant... It's really valuable to me to consider the fact that Jesus gives gives them this job to do. And then we have a record of what they did. We don't have to wonder what the Great Commission meant because we see what the apostles did in the Acts of the apostles. So here in the last two verses of the book of Acts, it makes a statement that I, I want us to think about for a little bit. He says here that Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. Remember we mentioned the fact that Paul said he taught publicly and house to house? He taught publicly and privately. And in this particular situation, we're talking about a what appears to be a private setting. I believe he's under bondage here. Might have to back up and read some of that to get the context, but I believe he's he's bound here. But he has this hired house, this rent house, if you will, that he has leased, and people are coming to Paul for what? Preaching. He was preaching... The kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So, what I just want to think about here for a minute is preaching and teaching, and is there a difference? I think there's a minor difference, but I think they accomplish the same purpose of bringing people to Christ and promoting growth once we're in Christ. But he makes a distinction here, and he says that it says here that Paul was preaching the kingdom of God. So, what is preaching? This is the Strong's number 2784, and the definition is to make or made a proclamation. You're declaring something as truth, and you're presenting it to someone as truth. So, we preach Jesus. Just like Paul did. So when we think about preaching, I think about the first part of the Great Commission. We preach Jesus. We're drawing people into the church by the preaching of Jesus. We make a proclamation. Now, the second statement he says he was teaching. What was he teaching? He was teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching means just exactly what you think it means. (laughs) Instruction. You're instructing somebody. So those are the tools that God has put in place for us to learn and to grow. Now I want us to think about this statement. He said that he did that with all confidence. Confidence is a huge challenge, guys. How does a person stand in front of a crowd and say anything? Well, confidence has to first of all has to come from the right place. Remember when God appeared to Moses in the bush and said, I want you to go over here and, and deliver my people? And, and what did Moses say? I can't do that. I'm, what was the phrase? Slow of speech or slow of tongue? Well, Moses was looking inwardly for his confidence, and he didn't find any. As we think about confidence, we've got to remember there's the only thing worse than not having any confidence is having too much. Uh, the only thing worse than not having enough confidence is having confidence in yourself. And that's what God said to Moses. You, you, You don't have to depend on yourself, you depend on me. So when I get up here and start talking to you about Scripture, it's not about me. It's about whether or not I believe what I'm telling you. And when I put the Scripture in front of you, I believe that. That's where my confidence is. It's in God's Word. It's not in my ability to get up here and talk about it. I need to stay out of the way. I need to get God's Word in front of you and let God's Word do what it's designed to do. And if we make this about us when we get up to preach, we're making a terrible mistake. If you go to do a personal Bible study with somebody and you make it about you, you're making a terrible mistake. And so when we think about confidence and we think about the Paul, that Paul did what he was doing with confidence, we've got to remember that our confidence needs to come from God, not from self. We cannot do the work that God has given us to do without confidence. We've got to have that. What would you how would you respond if I just got up here and hung my head down and mumbled like I didn't really believe what I was saying? How would you respond to that? We've got to have confidence. We need to be confident. Romans chapter 2. Apostle Paul says, "...and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind." He's talking about Jews here. And their confidence was in the wrong place. Their confidence was in the fact that Abraham was their father. But he identifies the fact that we've got to have confidence to do these things. To be a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. We need to be confident so that we can do these things. We want to lead people to Jesus. We want to lead people to growth as a Christian. We need to be confident. But we've got to remember this statement in Second Kings 18. And this guy said unto them, speaking out of Hezekiah, thus saith the king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? We want to be confident. The question is, where does our confidence come from? Our confidence needs to be in God and in His Word. That's where we have to get our confidence for it to be effective and to be the right kind of confidence. You know, I've probably been this guy at some point along the way. I hope I'm not now. But when we have somebody... Try to teach us that's more confident than they are knowledgeable, that doesn't work, does it? We've got to be knowledgeable so that we can have confidence in what we're knowledgeable about God's Word. That's where we need to put our trust, and that's where we need to get our confidence. Philippians 3 and verse 3, the Bible says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. That means it doesn't matter how skillful we are, how talented we are, how glib we are, how good with words we are. Now, if you have those talents and you have those gifts, you need to use those to bring people to Christ. But that's not where your confidence should come from. Have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust us in the flesh, I more. And then he goes through a whole long list of things here that would, should give him confidence in himself. Paul was a very educated man. He was a well-spoken man. He had many opportunities to bring people to Christ. He was a Jew, I think in one place. He said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had all of these things that a Jew in the first century would desire to have that would make him an exceptional person. And he said, I have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence comes from God and from His Word. Because it's going to do what God designed it to do. And God designed His Word to change people's lives. It will change your life. Because it's powerful, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, that's what will bring us to maturity is God's word. That's where the power is. Second Timothy two and verse two. The Bible says, "In the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I, I want to be cautious here, but we do things a little differently around here than probably most churches in town. And there's a reason that we do that. We're following what we believe is the biblical model. And that's it right there. But we live in this world where everybody's a professional and they defend the fact that they're a professional. I was in Lubbock here a year or two ago and I preached, you know, and I I did what I do everywhere, y'all. And this lady comes up to me afterwards that I did not know She was a visitor. I'm not sure those guys over there even knew her. But she came up to me afterwards and she said, that was a really good sermon. I hadn't heard one like that in a while. And I said, well, thank you and whatever. And then she said, where I go to church, we have a preacher that he's okay, but he's an untrained volunteer. So I'm gathering, y'all realize I'm an untrained volunteer, right? (laughs) I didn't know what to say to her. I, I I don't think I said much of anything. But that illustrates to me what a worldly expectation is of preaching and teaching as opposed to the biblical model. And this is the biblical model. The things that thou hast heard among me, this is the Apostle Paul talking, among many witnesses, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so that's the pattern that we want to follow. And so that's what we try to do. And we try to teach people the Scriptures so that they will be able to bring others to Christ and to bring others to maturity. And so that's what we do. And as we continue through our study, we'll notice some other things that the Bible is very specific about in our guidance of what we should do when it comes to the preaching and teaching of God's people. In Hebrews chapter 5, this statement is made, For when the time ye ought to be teachers. Now again, I want to be cautious here, because I know everybody's not a teacher. Everybody's not going to be able to get up publicly. Everybody's not going to be able to sit down in a private setting. But I do want us to notice what he says here. There are some people that ought to be teaching. And I believe his point is is that they're not growing. They're not growing. And he says, you still need somebody to teach you the first principles, apparently, over and over and over. There's no growth here. So we've got to grow as Christians. And again, I know I believe it's in James that James says, let, said, let there not be many masters. I mean, everybody's not equipped to teach. But that's not the world we live in. The world we live in wants to identify some professional and let him do all of it. And that's not the biblical model. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, Peter makes this statement. He's talking to elders specifically, I believe. And he says to them, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not because you have to, not because you're obligated, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. Now that doesn't mean you can't be paid to preach. It's not what the verse means. What the verse means is that that shouldn't be your motivation. but of a ready mind. So for those that haven't been around here very much, if you're a visitor or if you're new to what we do, there's eight elders that serve this congregation, and our teaching is dominated by elders, and that's why. I have an obligation to feed God's flock. That's one of my primary jobs. And that's what I'm trying to do today is feed the flock. Now what is it that the flock needs? Does it need to be entertained? It needs God's Word. That's what the flock needs. It's what we all need. God's Word is the spiritual food that we need. It's the only way we're going to grow. You can come or you can go to a place that is highly entertaining in their worship to God, I suppose. But are you growing? Are you getting the food you need or is it just fun? Now God's Word can be fun. But that's not what the, the pattern the world is pursuing. But it's not about the ketchup. So I hope you're wondering what in the world does that mean? Because I want to tell you It's a statement in a contrast about substance and style. The ketchup is how we garnish the meal, right? This is a spiritual meal today. And I have a certain style, and it is what it is. And I really can't help it. Well, I could, but... (laughs) Right? Right? And everybody that gets up, whether it's in a private or a public setting, has a particular style. But that's not what this is about, folks. It's about feeding the flock what they need, and that's God's Word. That's what we need. It's what's going to strengthen us. It's going to build us up spiritually. So don't make it about style, and I know we're all attracted by a certain style. and everybody has things that they like and things they dislike, and I get all of that. I do. But part of God's plan is to have a variety of teachers. So that means we have a variety of styles. But at the end of it, it's not about style. It's about substance. It's about truth. It's about God's Word. Notice what the Apostle says here. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But notice, He says, I labored more abundantly than they all. He was working at what He did. He didn't just rely on whatever. He had the guidance of the Spirit. Right? Right? He didn't have to work at it. It just happened. That's not what He said. I labored more abundantly than they all. So whatever you have to do for God, work at it. And then He says, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they so we preach and so you believed paul didn't care who did it and he didn't care who got the credit for it remember earlier we read the verse where he said don't do this for filthy lucre's sake do we understand the the significance of that don't matter who gets the credit It don't matter who's up front. I believe it was Ronald Reagan that said, there's no limit to the amount of things that people can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. And that's truth, people. We want the truth to be taught and people to come to Christ and to people to be growing in Christ. And how we accomplish that is by putting God's Word in front of people and it doesn't matter who's doing that. You know, Paul started 1 Corinthians 1 for chastising these people because they wanted to be people followers. He said, some are saying, I'm of Cephas, some of Apollos, some of Paul, and I am of Christ. And he condemned them for that. We don't need to be men followers. We need to be following Jesus Christ and His Word. So I've got 10 minutes to talk about the meat of my sermon now. <laughs> I, I'm i just kidding. 1 Corinthians 14 talks a lot about these things. We're going to look at several references. And I know 1 Corinthians 14 is about public assemblies. But I believe in the, the principle of the things that he talks about here have a broad application, okay? So here in verse 3 he says, He that prophesieth, he's talking about teaching. The preaching or teaching part of a public assembly. That's what he's referencing here when he uses this term prophesied. He says, They speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but what you need today in a spiritual sense is right there. Those are the three things that we need to grow. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. So when he said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21 that God had chosen the foolishness of preaching to bring people to Christ, that's what he's talking about. Because that's what people need. We need edification exhortation, and comfort. That's what we need. And I can do that all kinds of ways. But I can tell you the best way, and the way that's going to be the most effective, is to do it with God's Word. So what is he talking about? Edification, to build up. Now, I know there's some sermons that don't exactly build up. In a lot of ways, they tend to tear down. But sometimes we have to tear something down before we can build it, right? And at the end of the day, our goal needs to be to build people up. You take a person that's a certain way, and you take God's Word... And you change that person from that way to something else. That's building up. And that's what God's Word will do. I want you to all speak in tongues. So that would be a reference to the miraculous. Okay? But, even more to prophesy. The miraculous was going to come to an end. The prophesying, the preaching and the teaching was going to be ongoing. And he says even more to prophesy. You know what they were doing? They were being people, and they were fussing about who had the ability to do what. And so some of them had the ability to speak in tongues, some of them had the ability to do other things miraculously. And Paul is telling them, you need to stop worrying about that and do the things that are going to edify. You're worried about yourself instead of worried about how to build others up. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless someone interpre- interprets so that the church may be built up. They were all fired up about this speaking in tongues deal, but he tells them when you're up there Speaking in tongues and nobody understands you, there's no edification taking place. And so that's the challenge for us today, is if you don't have any idea of what I'm talking about, I don't have the ability to build you up. So if we're going to have somebody speak in tongues, we need to have an interpreter, and he goes on to address that here. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, he said, For as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. This needs to be your goal. Not something that makes you feel good about yourself, but something that will build the church up, that builds other people up. Seek that you may excel to That. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? So these were all things that were going on in the first century assemblies. And at the end of that, he says, let all things be done unto edifying. Build up. Verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 12, he said, Again, "Think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things dearly beloved for your edifying. So even when Paul was chastising them and correcting them and talking to them about things they were doing wrong, his goal was to build up. And that should be our goal today. First Corinthians 4 and verse 16, the Bible says, For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. So we talked earlier about style. And that's what this verse is about. It's about your individuality and what it is that that brings to the body of Christ. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And that's God's plan for what we do here. Everybody building each other up, edifying the body. And we don't accomplish that when we get off in fables and cute stories and all of the stuff that our flesh may or may not desire. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do Godly edifying. It's what, what we need. We also need exhortation. And it's, the word simply means encouragement. Okay? We need encouragement. Acts 11 and 23 says, Who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. We need that encouragement. We do. And I know sometimes we think we got it all together, but that's... And I hope you do today. But it's under threat because the devil's working. And we need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged to cleave unto the Lord. In Acts 14 and verse 22, as they toured the brotherhood here. It says, "...they confirmed the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God." We're going to have tribulation. And what we need when we're having tribulation in our life is encouragement. And we get that from God's Word. We get that eternal perspective. We get that it's going to be temporary. We get encouragement from the Word of God. Paul says to Timothy here in 2 Timothy 4 and 2, Preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now I want to take a minute here. I've got these three things highlighted. And I want you to think about And and this doesn't matter if you're teaching Bible or science or math or whatever you're teaching. There's an order here that's important. He says to reprove. That means you prove your case. But you've got to do that first. You've got to convince your math student that 2 plus 2 is 4. You've got to prove that. And then if they do on their test, they write 2 plus 2 is 5, you rebuke them. But if you rebuke them before you teach them, you've messed the order up. So when you have a person that's never heard the truth, and they have no idea what they're doing with their life, And you get up, or you go in, and you rebuke them before you've proved your point. You've lost them before you ever got started. But there is a place for rebuke. But it's got to be in its right place, as does encouragement. You can't take a person that's living in a sinful state and just encourage them to keep doing that it's out of order encouragement has to be in the right place as do all of these things and we do it with all long suffering and doctrine with scripture reprove rebuke exhort Hebrews 3 and verse 13, but exhort one another daily. Encourage, encourage, encourage. And do that while it is called today. Why? We can be hardened. Sin is deceiving, and we can be hardened by that. And we need comfort. We need comfort. You know, in Job 16, he says to his friends, you are miserable comforters. We don't need to be miserable comforters. We need to get that figured out. David says, or the psalmist says here in Psalms 119, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. So that's how to bring true comfort to people. So when somebody's sick and you go to comfort them and you tell them your horror stories of everything you've ever heard about somebody's disease, that's not comforting people. And if you don't know what else to do, you go and you talk about God's Word. When there's death, there's lots of different things that happens to us in life that need, we need to be able to comfort people. Let's learn to use God's Word to accomplish that. And not depend on you. I, and I've said it, I know, I, 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 just, I don't want to go over there, I don't know what to say. We're making it about me. And it's not. It's not. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That's what comfort does in our existence. It enables us to work. When we're discouraged, it's very difficult to get up and go to work. Because when you're discouraged, you don't think it's going to make any difference, you don't think it's going to get any better. You don't think God's Word is going to do what God designed it to do. That's what happens to us when we're discouraged. And that's why we need comfort and encouragement and edification. So I wanted to conclude with Isaiah 55 and verse 11 because if you have not understood anything else today I want you to understand this one thing God's word is what will change us because that's what God designed it to do and it's not about your ability it's about God's word And Isaiah 55 and 11 says, "...So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please." You know, and folks, I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it, but we are so result-oriented sometimes that we lose sight of what God says right here. You know, I want to change your life when I get up here to preach. I mean, that's my goal. I want to excel to edify. That's what I want, right? But it's not about me. It's about God's Word. And if you'll take God's Word and you'll go from this place, it will change your life. Don't matter whether I did a good job or a mediocre job or a really poor job. Because God's Word was designed to change your life. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. And it will. God bless you. Thank you for your attention today. We never want to close without offering the invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. God's Word brings us to Christ. Christ. And the way that it does that is it makes an appeal and says you are lost without the blood of Jesus. And you come in contact with the blood of Jesus when you obey the gospel and you're baptized. If you haven't done that and you want to do that today, we want to help you with that. If you need the prayers of the church for some spiritual need in your life, this is an opportunity to come and express that desire, and we'll be glad to pray with you and for you. If there's one or more of either class, please come as we sing the invitation.